following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Uh, Would you open up your Bible? We are in Exodus chapter 7, uh, Exodus chapter 7 today. It is an honor and a privilege uh, to preach God's word, and I'm excited um, to continue on in this this series that we have going on in Exodus, and it's not really a series, it's it's more just teaching God's word. I think it's funny when people say we're in a series right now, I'm just teaching you the book of Exodus, Um, so let's just go with that. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We believe that it's written by a man named Moses. Um, who had uh, multiple encounters with the living God. And as I was studying for uh, Exodus chapter 7, I found a, a really interesting joke, and I want to share it with you today. Okay? There was a, a young girl who was on a plane, and she was reading her Bible on the plane. And there was a businessman who was sitting next to the young girl, and he looks over at her and he says, what are you reading? She says, I'm reading my Bible. She says, what are you reading in your Bible? I'm reading the story of Jonah. He says, you really believe that? You really believe in Jonah? And she says, yeah, I do. I really believe that. He says, you think that Jonah was swallowed up by a whale? She pauses and looks at the guy and thinks, she says, well, actually, the Bible says it was a great fish. (laughs) This man's kind of taken aback or whatever. And he says, so you really believe that everything in the Bible is true? And she says, yeah, I do. He thinks, you think that Jonah is true? She says, I do. And I think that I'm going to see Jonah in heaven. The businessman says, well, what if you don't? And the little girl, just as fast as she could, looks at him and she says, well, you tell him that I said hello. (laughs) I told that Thursday to my college class, and one student looked at me and said, I don't get it. (laughs) And so we had a a good conversation after class about the gospel. And if you don't get it, I'll I'll explain it to you later. Bethany would love to explain it to you later, actually. Um, It's it's interesting to hear that joke because there are some things in the Bible that we look at and we read these stories and we wonder, are those really true? And and in Exodus, it, it just feels like one chapter after the next after the next, we're like, is this really true? Did this really happen? Did this really take place? And the short answer to that question is yes, it it did. All the stories in the Bible are true. They continue to be proven over and over and over again um, as each day passes. Exodus chapter 7 is a really interesting chapter, but let's talk about first how we got there. In Exodus chapter 6, we learn a culmination of everything from the first five or six chapters in Exodus. The people are crying out to the Lord. They're slaves in Egypt, and they want to be freed. And God hears the people's cries, and he equips a servant whose name is Moses. And Moses is a little hesitant. He's one of those servants that needs convinced. But God persuades Moses over and over and over again. He tells him about promises that he made in Genesis with a man named Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God says, I'm a promise keeper. I I, I keep my word. And 
Moses is trying to believe the Lord, kind of like we are, right? When we open up our Bibles, we're like, man, I, I think that's true, and I want to believe that's true, but God, you're going to have to help my unbelief there. And so Moses is kind of reluctant, and he tells God's people the plan. He's like, hey, listen, God has equipped me and, and my brother Aaron, and we're going to go to the Pharaoh, and we're going to tell him to let you go, and he's not going to listen to us. <laughs> and it's going to be really good because work's going to double for you. So actually, things are going to get harder before they get better. And, and in Exodus chapter 6, Moses kind of has this, this argument with God. And, and, and God encourages Moses at the very last part by giving a very detailed genealogy of the Israelites. And he shows clans and families and how he works in and through those things. And how he works in through the, the Levitical priesthood. And chapter 6 finishes with a really interesting kind of note where God repeats his command to go to Pharaoh and he demands his people become free. And the amazing thing about that last part in chapter 6 is that God would be with Moses regardless of the Pharaoh's rejection. And finally, Moses is like, okay, no more excuses. Let's go. Let's go and do what God has told us to do. And, and that is really interesting because we need to be in that spot, right? When God tells us to do something, we need to go. And we need to do it with excellence, and so in chapter 7, if you would look there in, in verse 1, it's really interesting because the first two verses are the introduction to chapter 7. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, see, <laughs> you can underline that, see, told you, that's a good father right there, right? Ah, how'd that work out? I have made you, Moses, like God, interesting wording to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet, Minor, or, or excuse me, lowercase p, prophet, not big p, prophet. We'll talk about that in just a second. And you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh, because you told me you were not a good speaker, and so I put him uh, next to you to talk to Pharaoh, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Okay, that makes sense. Now pause here for a second, because there's some good theology here. Don't miss this. In the first two verses... You see a couple of things. God repeatedly responds to Moses, and he repeatedly responds to us. It happens all the time. God is always talking. The question is, are you listening? And God shows in his unlimited patience with Moses something. He says that you will be like a God to Pharaoh. You can underline like God to Pharaoh. He doesn't say you're going to be God to Pharaoh. He says you're going to be like God. And this is very similar cross-referencing Chapter 4, verse 16, meaning Moses is going to reveal God's will. To somebody who is not a believer in the living God, he's going to reveal God's will to him. And God will give Moses, Aaron, to be a small p prophet. Small p meaning one who speaks for another or represents God to man. Now I say this as, as delicately as I can because we have a problem in today's society when we use the term prophecy because it's misunderstood. And here we realize that God's people are small p, not big p prophets that, that said Jesus would come, 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. No, small p prophets who represent God to men, who essentially declare God's word to Men And the question, as we read those first two verses that we have to ask in our everyday life, do we properly represent God to others or do we give them our opinion? In other words, are we giving people this word or are we giving them my word? 
My word's always going to fall short, but God's word's always going to fulfill. We give life-giving words like Aaron to the people we come in contact with. Okay, so God knows that Pharaoh's is going to reject. Chapter 3 talks about it. Chapter 5 talks about it. Chapter 6 talks about it. And so God makes himself known to Pharaoh. But watch this. He makes himself known to Moses, and he makes himself known to the Egyptians, and he makes himself known to the Israelites, and he makes himself known to us. God is always making himself known. The question is, are our eyes open to this? Are we seeing how God is making himself known? And my goal here this morning is to kind of give you three ways that God makes himself known in Exodus and then bridge that Old Testament gap to New Testament time today and talk about how this relates. Well, let's look at verse three. But I, this is God talking, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There's nothing worse (laughs) than God telling you to go do something knowing that the end result is not going to be what you anticipated. (laughs) I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, we're going to try to unpack this because the first way that God makes himself known is through the hardening of the heart. Pharaoh's heart is the key theme in Exodus chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. It's talked about all the time. The first two references are God saying that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, if we were to translate that Hebrew into the the current English, essentially, it's a figure of speech where he's saying, I'm going to make the king stubborn, right? I want you to go have a conversation with your boss. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to make him kind of stubborn towards you, okay? And God does. Six times, Exodus 9, 10, actually three times in uh, chapter 10, once in 11, and in 14. So God does make the king stubborn. But watch this. Then Pharaoh seven times hardens his own heart. He took action himself before God took his action. Now, if you want to, you can circle that word harden because the root meaning of the Hebrew word translated to harden is to strengthen. And that means that God hardens people by strengthening the resolve they have formed in their own heart. In other words, this is extremely hard to say, God in his unsurpassable love strives to turn humans toward himself, but there gets to a point where in God's view, they become hopeless. Man has strengthened himself so much against God that God gives them over to their own devices. You can argue this all you want, but it is littered in the Old Testament and New Testament text. Prove it. Okay. Genesis chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. The people who died in the flood resolved to go against God's will, word, and ways, and God took him out through the flood. In Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 24 Paul, New Testament text, says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. This is happening and transpiring in our society today. People love to have their ears tickled. They love to hear what they want to hear. And so what happens is we're having people who are hardening their heart towards God, his word, will, and ways, because essentially they're saying, I exchange the truth about God, what it says in his word for a lie, because it makes me feel good. And so they worship the things that God created instead of the creator himself. 
who is worthy to be praised. Okay, that's tough to hear. When this hardening happens, God's strategy changes from trying to change people to using them in their wickedness for his own divine purposes. Even as God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he also gave him reasons to believe and surrender to God. I think, and and this is just Pastor Jordan kind of looking at the text, that every time a plague happened in, in Egypt, God looked at Pharaoh and says, you want to relent? And Pharaoh said, no. So Pharaoh hardens his heart towards the Lord. Another plague happens. You want to you repent? No. He just hardens his heart over and over and over and over again. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says, Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them. They hardened their hearts to foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Now, here's the crazy thing. This is really interesting. Every time the Bible talks about God hardening somebody's heart, it is an act of judgment in response to the decisions that they have already made. And when God desires to harden somebody's heart, God wishes that it didn't have to be that way. And he can do the same today. And here's the crazy thing. If you study that word harden, it means to strengthen. So you're either strengthening your resolve against God or you're strengthening your resolve towards God. And so when we look at this passage, we would realize that I have to ask myself, am I hardening my heart towards the truth that God has entrusted to my care or am I hardening my heart towards treason against what God wants me to do? That is something to be careful about. In our rebellion, we may reach a place where God will strengthen us in the evil that we desire. Lord, help me in that. That I never am so far off from God's word that God gives uh, me the desires of my heart. May the desires of my heart always be the Lord's will, word, and ways. And God makes himself known through the hardening of heart. You can see it in non-believers, and you can see it in believers as well. All right, second part of verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and in that hardening, I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Second way God makes himself known, signs and wonders. Every time Pharaoh's heart was hardened, God fulfilled his purpose by demonstrating a supernatural miracle in Egypt. Now, circle those two words. You have signs. What's a sign? A sign is a miracle that has a special significance that points to something. In Exodus, it's the plagues. The plagues ultimately point to God's sovereignty, which triumph any so-called sovereignty of Pharaoh. God is trying to show not only the Egyptians, but also the Israelites his sovereignty in these plagues. In the problems of the world, God is trying to show his sovereignty. For what point? So the people would repent of themselves and worship the living God. It is always so that the people would be able to worship properly. Wonders is miracles that produce astonishment and awe in all who witness them. I think, again, just Pastor Jordan's perspective on the text here, is that after the plagues happened, Moses looked at the people and said, that's from God. That's from God. See what happened there? That's from God. In Egypt, there's 80 different gods, but they couldn't do anything to save the people or the land from God's real judgment. If Egypt had 80, the question on the table as we cross that Old Testament to New Testament bridges, how many idols do Americans have 
And how many times do acts of God come and we give credit to the idols of America instead of the adoration to God? We have to really analyze that because sometimes we see God move in a mighty way and what we do is we look at it and we go, surely that's not the Lord. But here the Egyptians would learn that Jehovah God was truly the living God But in reality, if you look at it, the people of God, Israelites, needed the same lesson as we do as believers today. God is still doing signs and wonders, but he's doing them for two reasons. One, so that people who are far from God, pagans who do not have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, would repent and make that decision, but also so his people will properly worship in reverence and in awe. So what? (laughs) So the question is, Are you watching what is transpiring around us or are you so numb to the signs and wonders of God because your fingers are wrapped around the things of this world? Right? Okay, verse four. Pharaoh will not listen to you. What a discouraging passage of scripture. (laughs) Pharaoh will not listen to you. Uh, uh, A guy in the church Uh, texted me the other day, and he said, this is a really discouraging verse, and it wasn't Exodus. And I said, I see that, and I raise you uh, Exodus 7, 4. (laughs) Then, because Pharaoh will not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts of my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Now watch this. The third way that God makes himself known. First way, hardening of hearts. Second way, signs and wonders. Third way, through his judgment that always comes in a mighty way. Sadly, Pharaoh and Egypt are going to reject the Lord, and here comes the welcoming of God's severe judgments. The words of Moses and Aaron would not be effective. I think that's fascinating. And it would force God to deliver his real death blow. Two terms here. Okay, first word, host, is really important. Host is often translated armies, meaning God's people were starting to form a battle formation for the Lord. And then it says, lay my hand, and when the Bible says lay my hand, it literally means put my hand into, an expression that's a strong anthropomorphism. Anthropo what is <laughs> Anthropomorphism is simply a figure of speech which we try to give traits of finite humanity to an infinite God. It's us trying to identify God in a way that we understand. And here, that lay my hand depicts God's severest judgment on Egypt. So what's the point? Neither Moses or Aaron's words or signs, the plagues, would be effective. It would take God himself to deliver a blow that would destroy. And you are trying so hard right now, I know, because I hear some of the things that you're, you're, you're doing in your life and some of the things that are going on in your life, and you're trying so hard to move God's right hand when in reality he says, be faithful, be obedient, and let me do the heavy lifting. So there's sometimes where we just have to do what God tells us to do and then let go and let God Because he's going to come in and he's going to work in a mighty way. And that's why we pray. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, the nation was organized like an army with its difficult divisions, its tribes, and also God's military instruments upon the Canaanites. And they can be organized and they can be ready to go. But what happened? God had to move. So God's judgment is coming. They're formulated. They're ready to go. And they know that God's judgment is coming. It doesn't matter how much society rejects what you give them from God's word. 
What you tell them from God's will, what you say about God's ways, our standard of truth is just that. It's truth. And sinful society is wrong in their pursuit of wickedness and oppressing God's people. And if you're in that state where you're being oppressed as a child of God, then you pray and let the Lord come and work in a mighty way. If we, as the armies of God, are unable to do and are calling verbally to Christ, God himself will do when he comes as a righteous judge. We as believers are called and commanded to share about God's coming judgment. Okay, so what is the application? Look at verse five. I've been making an application the whole text, but look. The Egyptians shall know after all of these things come that I am the Lord. You can underline that. I am the Lord. Not Moses is the Lord. Not Aaron is the Lord. Not Jordan is the Lord. I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, that's when they'll know that I am the Lord. All right, so two questions come from all of uh, the first five verses. <clears throat> the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. It's all over Exodus. God is about to deliver his people out of slavery, and he's going to do that because he loves them. He's going to do that because they're suffering. He's going to do that because he promised, but the ultimate reason is that he's faithful to his promises. In Exodus chapter 6, God shows that he is the great I am, that he is the one true God. There's no way for Egypt to be able to deny the direct involvement of God when the plagues come and the Israelites are released out of slavery. So what are the two questions? Number one, do you know this God? The Old Testament text points us to this, this question Do I know the living God? Do I have a relationship with this this God of all other gods? These are miracles that were an open invitation for the Egyptians to personally believe in the Lord. Some apparently did. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, fascinating passage of scripture says, a rabble of non-Israelites went with them. There were people in Egypt that looked at, at Pharaoh and they're like, you're nuts and we're out. And they went with them. Now let's, let's cross that bridge. Let's keep crossing that bridge from Old Testament to New Testament. God delivers his people through Moses in the Old Testament. And he will bring them out of earthly slavery. But the second exodus is for Christ to bring us out of a sin-cursed world. He is the Messiah. He's the true deliverer that redemption can only come through faith and trust in Christ. We live on this side of the cross, which means in order to have a relationship with God, we must trust Christ. Old Testament people pointed to a Messiah that will come. New Testament people point back to a Messiah who came. And the question on the table is, do you have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ? Confess your sins. Repent of those sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. His blood covers sins. The blood that is shed in the Old Testament is symbolic of the blood that will be shed in the New Testament. Do I have a relationship with the Lord? And I think many of us do. So the second question, if God were to come right now, would you be ready for his judgment? In another anthropomorphism, God says he'll stretch out his hand. This is a symbol of his power behind the plagues. The ultimate purpose of God's actions are for his own glory. The glory of God is always at stake all over the text. And the Egyptians would recognize God's sovereignty. 
Paul knew this to be true. Romans 14, 10. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge the Lord, either on this side of eternity or on that side of eternity. And I'd rather be on this side of eternity. It is a bad thing to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. And so cross the bridge, Old Testament to New Testament. God's right hand is a reference, a pointing to the Messiah, Jesus, as he is of equal position, honor, power, and authority with God. John Chapter 1 tells us that. When Christ, the Son of God, comes again, all God's enemies will be made his footstool. And when the end of the ages come, all prophecy will be completed and the time will be no more. So the question is, are you ready for God's hand? The only way you can do that to be saved is to trust in Christ. So studying for this uh, interesting um, sermon popped up um, one of my dear friends tells me to never use old illustrations because people check out. I think that's garbage. There's, there's so much good stuff from the people who have gone before us. Charles Spurgeon, who a lot of people know and understand, he was a Baptist preacher in the 1800s. I want to close with this. He says, The ungodly world is hard to teach. Egypt doesn't know Jehovah. Egypt doesn't know God, and therefore Egypt dares to set up his idols and even ventures to ask, who is the Lord? Yet the Lord means to break proud hearts, whether they will or not. When his judgments thunder over their heads, darken their skies, destroy their harvests, and lay their sons, they begin to discern somewhat of Jehovah's power. There will yet be such things done in the earth as shall bring skeptics to their knees. Let us not be dismayed because of their blasphemies, what the world is saying. For the Lord can take care of his own name, and he will do so in every effectual matter. The salvation of his own people was another potent means of making Egypt known that God of Israel was Jehovah. He is the living God. He is the true God. No Israelite died by any one of the ten plagues. None of the chosen seed were drowned in the Red Sea. Even so, the salvation of the elect and the sure glorification of all true believers will make the most obstinate of God's enemies acknowledge that Jehovah, he is God. Here's the kicker. Oh, that his convincing power would go forth by his Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel by his people. Till all nations shall bow at the name of Jesus and call him Lord. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's hard to stop there. <laughs> Because the story continues, and I feel like we've done that these past couple of weeks. We get kind of moving, and then all of a sudden we have to stop. But here in the text, we learn something about your greatness. And that is that you made yourself known to the Israelites and to the Egyptians, pagans and your people. And we know God crossing the Old Testament to the New You're doing the same thing today. But the hard thing for us to grasp and to wrap our minds around is that you are calling us like Moses to proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into glorious light. You're asking us to make your son Jesus known throughout all of the communities that we populate. 
You're asking us to boldly declare that we have a relationship with you through faith in Christ. And some of us need to repent because we have been silent about that truth. And some of us, we need to repent because we have let sin and the world enter into our life. And what has happened and transpired is we don't look any different than the world right now. We look like Egypt. You're trying to make yourself known through us, but our fingers are so tight on the world that it's causing us to become blind to the truth. And so we would ask God for your help. First and foremost, for the forgiveness of sins. And we would ask that that backpack would just be released. For those of us gathered here today who maybe don't have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that they would come to know Christ as Savior. And they would realize that they can be children of God through confession of sin and believing upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that his blood covers sins past, present, and future. So many of us have made that decision today, God. And so we ask that you would illuminate our eyes and our ears, give our hands and feet things to do that continually help us to see that you're making yourself known. Harden and strengthen our hearts to your truth. Let us not be grounded on anything else except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we see clearly the signs and wonders that are still being done today that are pointing people back to you. And may we tell people about those signs and wonders. May we point them to the fact that was of the Lord. That was of the living God. That was of Jehovah. And God, we would ask for your judgment to come. We're good. When we are in a relationship with you through faith in Christ, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We welcome that. We welcome you because we know that we are saved through Christ. And God, as we see the day approaching, we ask that in our patient waiting, we would be faithfully and diligently obedient to your word. In the small things and in the big things, that we would strive to honor you regardless of the rejection of man. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.